Hello and welcome to the Grove Church Podcast. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and we are so glad that you're joining us. Whether you are a member and you're just catching up on a sermon that you missed or you're someone who's brand new, we are really glad that you are joining us. And if you are new in some way, and I know that a lot of people will do that, will listen to sermons first before they visit, I want you to know that we would love to meet you at any point. You can join us live in our services on Sunday, 9 and 1030, or our streaming service at 1030. Either way, we would love to be able to get to know you. And regardless of why you are here uh, listening to this sermon today, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, good morning. If you are new, I am Charlie, the lead pastor here, and really glad you're worshiping with us, especially if you're new. Welcome to the people who are watching us online. And if you are new, we would love to help you get connected. Uh, there's a card you can fill out, a little thing you can scan. You can go out to our Connect desk. We'd love to know that you're here. Any way we can help you, serve you, please, please let us know. And as Jason mentioned a few minutes ago, we are doing a series in relationships. And we're just talking about, like, what do we do when relationships really, really complicated? Sometimes things get really broken and we don't know what to do. And so we just spent some time talking about it. And we started a couple weeks ago with this idea that really, first and foremost, it's not going to surprise anybody, God wants to be people who love well and also people who forgive well. And when things get complicated, those two things get difficult. And we, it's not as simple as, hey, if you just loved and forgave more, everything would be fine. It's not that simple. But it's, it's, it, it also, it, it starts there. And we need to make sure that as we are navigating some of the more challenging relationships in our life, that we don't lose sight of the basics, loving well and forgiving well. And last week, we looked at a passage in Romans that just talks about being people who bring peace, that that's what we do. We want to be people that are, by nature, trying to be peacemakers in the world. It's what Paul said. It's like, and as much as it's possible, as what depends on you, if it's possible and as much as it depends on you, try to be at peace. And even that, even in that, there's just a lot of, caveats that Paul's giving. It's not always going to be possible to be peaceful, and, and it doesn't completely depend on you. But if it is possible, and when it does depend on you, let's be at peace. But how do we, how do we navigate that? So I feel like that there's even more. Like we just think about kind of what happens when, when there's conflict and when there's problems, how to resolve it. It's not, as, it's not as simple as some of these kind of basic principles. And as someone who lives a a semi-public life. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a public figure, but I live my life a little more publicly, kind of just being on the stage here and leading a church than a lot of people do. I kind of find myself just, you know, it, sometimes, and again, just, I think part of this is just the way churches work, and I think a part of it just the way Southern culture church works. It just, I find myself where I just kind of take a few, a few more arrows maybe than some people will, and, and some of these stories some of you will be aware of, but I feel like if you're new, we all need to be aware of some of these. One of these, some of these things that have happened um, over the years. There was a time when I first got here, we're in a different building, and when we used those, we had these little plastic event chairs, which were great if you were 12. But anybody who weighed more than 100 pounds, and we had a lot of women who were pregnant at the time, but these chairs weren't working. I said, what if we just got some cushion chairs, and we found some that were only $30. I don't know if you think you're sitting on a $100 luxury. You're not. You're sitting on $30 practical. And so we get these. I thought that was a very practical, simple idea. But some people thought that that was lavish, showed my priorities were in the wrong place, and I got a strongly worded email. And I won't go through all of the details of it, but I will tell you the conclusion of it, which was, Charlie, you should consider reading the Bible. <laughs> All right, well, noted, noted. I'll consider that. I'll, I, will, I, will, I will take that under advisement. Um, 
Another thing that happened, you know, when we moved here, the house that we owned in the other town, we owned it for a really long time. We couldn't sell it. We eventually got some renters in there, and once that was settled, we felt comfortable buying a house here. Well, I don't know, uh, there's some, I don't know if you know who Dave Ramsey is, but he's kind of an anti-debt kind of guy, and there were some pretty big disciples of his at the time, and this stressed some people out, uh, me owning two homes, and one person in particular came up to me and said, we're going to have to leave the church. Like, why is that? He said, well, because you have these two homes, you are very likely going to embezzle money from the church, and we don't want to be a part of that. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, okay, well, uh, I guess that's a good reason. I don't think I'm going to do that, but okay, okay. Um, And and then there was this one person, he came to church for a while, and eventually he said to me, he's like, man, you just, you're so smug. I don't like your teaching style. And when I see you on the stage, I want to run up there and punch you in the face. <laughs> well, I mean, let's, let's not do that. I mean, that's, I, mean, that's, I mean, there's better ideas out there in the world than that. And then I also had somebody say, you know what? Just sitting in the room, listening to you teach makes me physically ill. <sighs> And you know, I mean, and, and I would love to say, it's like, ha, 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 I, mean, I can tell them it's a joke, but like, man, eventually, man, like the, the weight of all of these, it kind of gets to you, which is why there's this thing in pastor world, and you maybe, you, 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 you know, you wouldn't, I would, it's taught sometimes in seminaries or in pastoral leadership books that, the, that what you have to do is you have to close yourself off. You need to physically, emotionally separate yourself from people and kind of live almost as an island because this is going to happen and the only way really to survive it is to close yourself off. And I, and I talk about all this because, you know, pastor world, and you may be thinking, well, this isn't very relatable when in fact it is in fact incredibly relatable. While I may be taking a, a, a broader range of arrows, we're all taking arrows. We're all taking arrows from people that are in our circles, whether it be at work or our family, our friends or whatever. And we take these arrows and people say things and relationships go bad and, and there becomes this hurt and this sin and this brokenness that happens in a relationship. And you can either do kind of what very often happens to me is I just get just kind of emotionally hurt and overwhelmed and I get stressed out and I don't know what to do. Or we can do the other thing. I'm just going to allow myself to get completely closed off and I'm going to emotionally and physically distance myself from people so people can't hurt me anymore. But the reality of it is, between these two extremes, we really, we really don't know how to handle like real conflict. And again, when, when, as we're talking about this, I don't want you to think about some of the common stereotypical things that happen. It's like, well, you know... Sometimes he leaves his socks on the floor and I tell him, I'm not going to be here to pick up after you. I don't want to be picking up your socks. Now, that is a real conflict and it needs to be resolved, right? But there's kind of these simple base level things. But what do we do like when real hurt is happening, real damage is happening? I mean, do we allow, do it just crushes us? I, I wall myself off, I avoid it, I fight back, what do we do? And there are a couple of passages, and they're both in Matthew, and they're both things that Jesus taught that we're going to look at together that I think are going to give us some principles. We're, again, all we're really doing here is just adding just a few more principles. We want to love well, we want to forgive well, we want to try to be peaceful if we can. 
We're going to add a few more principles to that today, but even again, recognizing the fact that what we're talking about here is when relationships get overwhelmingly complicated. I'm, I'm not try, this, is, this is not the kind of thing that's going to break it down simple. In fact, the addition of some of these principles may make it even feel more complicated, but that, making it feel more complicated makes it more real. And I, but I think it is important for us to kind of have just some better tools in our belt and how to navigate relationships when they get really broken. <clears throat> and again, the passages are in Matthew, and the first one is in Matthew chapter 5. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So he's describing here, hey, you're worshiping, you're, and you remember, hey, there is somebody somewhere that has something against me. I've done something. There's, there's a, a relationship that's damaged, and I damaged it, and I need to go to work to try to resolve this. Fast forward a few chapters, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Jesus says this, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, again, that passage gets primarily used for this thing that is called kind of in church world, church discipline. And it is a process that a lot of churches will use to kind of deal with problems in the congregation. If someone is being sinful, you go to them, then a couple of people go to them, and then if it doesn't work, they get presented to the church and they get kicked out, right? We're not talking about church discipline per se today, because really this passage predates the existence of what we would call local churches. But I think in there are some really good principles that we're going to kind of dive into and we're going to look very kind of deeply at a few things that Jesus is talking about here in kind of resolving this. But before we get there, I want to kind of compare both of these passages, at least kind of what they initially say, compare them to each other. Because in the first one, we have a situation where you remember that you have done some damage. You've done some damage out there. Somebody's got something against you. And it is your responsibility to go to them and make it better. And in the second one, we've got someone else has done the damage. Someone else has sinned. Someone else has, has broken the relationship. And it is your responsibility to go to them. You put those things together and we get this. When a relationship gets really bad, when it gets broken, when there's something between them, you have a responsibility regardless of who is at fault. You have a responsibility. If you are the offending party, I have hurt someone, it is your responsibility to go to them to try to make it better. If, if someone has hurt you, it is your responsibility to go to them to try to make this better. You have a responsibility either way. And I think very often we do the opposite of that. If, if I've hurt you, it's like, well, I don't know if I've hurt you or not. If you're upset, you should come talk to me about it. I don't know if you're upset about it or not. And it's up to you if you need to tell me. I can't, I, can't, I can't read your mind. I can't read your mind. If you're upset, you should come to me. Uh, but at the same time, the person who was sitting there hurting is thinking, 
you're the one that said that thing. You're the one that did that thing. You should come to me. I'm the one that's hurt. It shouldn't be on me. And so everyone is waiting for the other one to take, take the first step, which I like to call junior high dance. Right? You got the guys over here and the girls over here all kind of staring at each other, waiting for somebody to make the first move and no one's dancing. And this is how a lot of us treat conflict resolution where I'm waiting for you to make the first, it's your responsibility if your feelings are hurt. No, it's your responsibility. You did the damage. And what Jesus is saying, it is, it is your responsibility regardless. And there's a principle I, I learned, and I shouldn't say learned. There's a principle that I heard a few years ago when I, when I started going to talk to a counselor, um, a principle that he used, and I heard, I heard him say it, and I liked it. And then I've heard a lot of other people say it, and I liked it when they said it. But then I finally figured out after a little while, I didn't know what it meant. And I don't know if you've ever been in the situation where somebody says something, it sounds really cool, it sounds really profound, you're like, oh man, that's good. And then you realize later that you don't know what he's talking about, and then you don't have the courage to go, it's like, I don't know what this means actually. So this is what it was for me. He's like, listen, in relationships, you have a responsibility to people, you don't have a responsibility for people. Like, hmm, yeah. That is so well phrased, and I can tell it's clever and nuanced, and I was like, that's good. And then I'm like, I, but, I, but I, don't, I don't know what it means. And it actually took me a while. It took me a while. And finally, I figured it out that it helps me to understand what that means. I have a responsibility to someone, but not a responsibility for someone. Both of those things, two and four, little prepositions, right? If I, if I, if I fill it in, I have a responsibility to ask you for forgiveness. But I'm not responsible for whether or not you forgive me or not. I have a responsibility when confronted to ask, I mean, to, I mean, when, when, you know, I, so if, if you have hurt me, hey, you, you have hurt me. I have a responsibility to tell you that. I can't be responsible for whether or not you're sorry. So I'm responsible to, to initiate, to ask for forgiveness or to ask you to tell you that you've hurt me. I have a responsibility to do those things, but I do not have a responsibility for your response. And so for some of us who are, who are playing junior high dance, it is important for us to take on a little bit more responsibility maybe than what we have. But I don't want you to hear me say that, that we have all of the responsibility, just like we talked about last week, as much as it depends on you. You have a responsibility to do the right thing, but you, don't, you are not responsible for their response. And this is where I struggle and I mentioned this last week. I struggle with this. I, I overthink things. I overthink things of just like, well, we gotta, I got I to gotta figure this out. There's got to be some way I can do this. If I, if I say it like this, if I say it like this, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, I can, I, I, I can make everyone, I can make them like me again. And, and then my brain starts to overthink. Like, well, maybe there are more people. If, if they think that, maybe more people think. And I'm constantly overthinking, thinking other people are upset with me. And, and, if, and if I do everything right, and if I do this, if I do this, and then no one will be mad at me. And I'm constantly overthinking. And it's a problem. But let's also just, I want to acknowledge the problem of underthinking. And as an overthinker, I would like to just measure a complaint here. Overthinking is a word. Underthinking is not. It should be. Because some of you are clearly underthinkers, and we're avoiding it. And we're, and now and and but whether we underthink and are not taking enough responsibility or overthinking and feel like it all falls to us, we do have some responsibility. 
God has called us to be one who take initiatives, but then we, alle- we, we leave the response between them and God. So regardless if you are the offended or the offender, we have a responsibility. Now, when Jesus is talking, again, most, it primarily gets applied as church discipline. But again, I think that there are some principles here about what to do when things get really broken. So I go to you and I say, you have hurt me in some way. Your, your sin has had an effect and I, I would like for you to, I'd like for you to, to do something about this. And it says, and if they, and if they agree and they, and, they, and they say that they're sorry, then you've won your brother and that's really good. But what do you do when it doesn't work? He says this, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along. And so you have a responsibility regardless of who's at fault. So you take that responsibility. And as you're trying to resolve this, I want to give this encouragement too, is that you want to, you want to try to keep the circle small. You want to try to keep the circle small. It's not working. I'm trying to have resolution in this friendship, in this partnership, in this family relationship that really matters. Again, we're not talking about small conflict and we're not talking about conflict with people that are three or four steps removed from us. We're talking about deep conflict with with these people that matter. what What do I do here? And Jesus says, you should take a couple of people with you. But what does he say? One or two Keep the, keep the circle small. Keep it small. And some of you are thinking, no, I do that all the time. Anytime I got a problem with somebody, I'm always telling one or two people at a time. Right? I'm going to tell these one or two people, and it's going to come up over here. I'm going to tell these one or two people, and I'll tell these one or two people. And next thing you know, it's all out there. And when we do that, we're creating a completely different problem. We've got this problem that needs to be resolved. And I'm going to tell one or two people, one or two people, one or two people, one or two people. And now what's happened is that's really not an attempt to resolve the problem. It is an attempt to win people to your side. I don't know what they're going to say. I don't know what they're going to do. And so I got to make sure I get my part out there and kind of get my spin out there on it first. And what you've now done is you've taken this initial problem that we're trying to resolve and now we've added another one. Because now we've got whatever the initial conflict is and now we've also got reputations are being damaged. There's, There's gossip, there's misleading information out there. And now the conflict has become immensely more complicated and 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 way more difficult to resolve. So one or two people, one or two people, which is different than the thing, again, that I struggle with. I'm, I, I'm, I, I try not to do this, but the thing that I, I will try to do, again, because of just kind of the way that I am, the particular types of anxiety and fears that I have, I really believe that if I try hard enough and I try, I'm going to try it this way this time, try it this way this time, try it this way time, that I don't have to get anybody else involved. We, we, we can work this out. But there's a beauty and a genius to what Jesus is saying here. I just talk to one or two other people. Because what can happen is, because of this, that what happens, or just because of how, how, how close the relationship is, how serious the conflict is, it can get... It can get too personal too quickly. And now we're not really talking about 
the conflict, it now has just kind of become back and forth personal attacks. And again, you probably, if you're married, you've probably experienced this with your spouse. Most of us have probably experienced it with a parent. We're trying to talk about an issue, but ultimately it all just becomes very personal and meshed and becomes a problem. And getting a couple of people on the outside to kind of look at it can be really helpful to keep it from getting too personal and making sure we're keeping the issue the issue. Another piece of advice I have on that about keeping it personal, not keeping it from getting personal. This has been really, really helpful to me because again, I'm, I'm a person of extremes. I'm either going to avoid conflict altogether. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And all the way up until the point that it's not fine. You're doing something that hurts me, and I'm saying it's fine, it's fine, I can forgive, I can forgive, all the way up to the point that it's not. And when it's not, man, I got some things to say. And when you are a professional word talker and you get heated about something, the things that can come out of your mouth can, come, can, can become really intense. And then I feel awful, and then I go back to, I should never say anything. And a thing that one of my counselors really helped me with is this idea of, just keeping it about the issue itself, just say, when this happened, I didn't like it. And this guy doesn't have to feel guilty about having said it, but it doesn't have to become more than that. And because you did this and you did it to me, and I, this, must, this is the kind of person you are, and this is what you did to me, and, da, 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 and it becomes, becomes, doesn't have to become more. Than, when this happened, I didn't like it. It, it, it hurt my feelings. And just, and just leave it at that. But we're not very good at that, which is why when conflicts go bad, I need one or two other people in to keep it from getting to that level. And you know what else one or two other people's eyes on this can do? Hold your breath. This is big. Think about it. Sometimes it's your fault. You're coming to them for something that they did, and it turned out the problem was you. Maybe not 100%, but not 0%. And bringing one or two other people into this can really help us. And so we don't want to try to feel like we do it ourselves. We don't want to turn it into a whole big production, but one or two trusted people that can come and help you navigate this can make a huge difference. And then he ends up after, the, what, if that, what if that doesn't work? Verse 17. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Again, this is enumerating a process. And again, it, you know, we talk about it often in the context of local churches, which again, didn't really exist yet here or a few years away. This idea of church is really kind of the people, the community, the ones that are the trusted, close community, God-centered community that you have. And so um, I'm not suggesting here that, the, uh, that all of our personal conflicts where someone has hurt another one has to end up here on stage. We're like, okay, guys, we're going to vote here, American Idol style or something like that, who we're voting for here. I'm not talk, I don't necessarily talk about that. But I do believe that there is still a really good principle here that we're saying. is like, I tried to resolve it personally, and then I tried to resolve it with a couple of people, and it's still not working. I want to focus on this phrase treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So I have a responsibility regardless of who's at fault. I want to try to keep the circle small. And sometimes 
Sometimes the relationship has to be redefined. Sometimes it has to be redefined. And this is what Jesus is saying. You've got this person. They're a trusted friend. They're a trusted confidant. They're a close family member. They're someone that you just have this strong connection with. And sin and brokenness has gotten in the way. And I tried to resolve it and I couldn't. And then I tried to get some people and together we tried to resolve it. And then ultimately Jesus says, sometimes if that even that's not going to work. And then he says this, you have to, you, then you should treat them differently. You should treat them like you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, depending on where you grew up, if you grew up going to church or not, and what that church was like, and your familiarity with this passage, what you think Jesus means by that phrase treat them like a pagan or tax collector, is going to be different. And I can show you just by reading it differently to you right now. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And it has some sort of vengeful feel to it. Which initially, probably the people that heard Jesus say that, is what they would have thought because they knew the way they treated pagans and they knew the way that they treated tax collectors. But I ask you this question rhetorically. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? For goodness sake, he had a tax collector and his 12 disciples. And when he approached Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man, <laughs> I'm sorry if you didn't go to church, Try not to do inside jokes. That is an old children's song about Zacchaeus' story about a tax collector. My bad. Anyways, he was a tax collector and really reviled by the community. Everybody hated him. He was shunned. He was an outcast. And Jesus went straight up to him and said, I want to have dinner with you and brought love to him. And so this is, you know, Jesus doesn't need my validation. This is a very clever phrasing on his part as he was using what it means to kind of redefine some of these relationships that we have. Because he used these titles, these types of people they would naturally have an animosity towards. But upon deeper, further reflection on their part and ultimately on our part, it's like Jesus is getting something very different here. Treating someone like a pagan and a tax collector, they, they used to be a trusted member of the community now they are like a tax collector, which really, if I were to try to simplify that, I would say it is, I trust them less and I love them more. They may not be able to fit in my inner circle of trust anymore, but my heart and my love and my desire for them and, and, and to be reconciled, this is what Jesus wants from pagans and tax collectors. He wants repentance and forgiveness and restoration into full relationship with God and with, and with God's people. That is how we treat them. So I may not be able to keep you in my inner circle of trust anymore, but that doesn't mean that I don't still love you and still desire repentance. The relationship is different. The love is the same. And again, just full confession time, I, I really struggle with this, and this is something that I have been growing in, trying to learn, learn about myself over the last few years. I think I, I figured this out a couple of years ago, actually, where it's just kind of like, I, I really do. It's like, I've got relationships like this. They're good. 
And if something goes bad in them, they can still be good and we can fix it and we can fix it and everything's fine and we'll eventually figure it out. We'll eventually figure it out. We'll eventually figure it out. It's like, okay, we haven't figured it out. Trash can. And this is what I, I remember saying this once to my counselor. I got two categories for people. We're good and trash can. And I don't know if you've ever made your counselor get big eyed on you. But it's like, I put them in, tra- put them in trash can. I, 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 I can't, I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried, trash can. What is, what is this? It's something that's pretty new to me. Of just this idea of, I love them. I, I still believe in them. I want the best for them. I want this relationship back, but I can't. I can't be this close to them anymore. And I, there's a part of me that, that feels guilty about this and there is an, a, a whole lot of me that feels guilty about this. I'm like, how do I do this? How do I continue to love somebody who has hurt me and it seems like it's not gonna be resolved? It can't be this, it can't be, it's not the same. It can't be the same. And again, it is the beauty of what Jesus is saying here. You treat them, you treat them like a tax collector. Now watch me how I treat tax collectors. You know, you're not in my deep circle of trust until there's restoration. But I still love you. It is still my desire that there be Forgiveness, repentance, relationship. I still love you, but I've got to move you from here. Again, several steps short of the trash can. Less trust, more love. And again, you put all these principles together and I've, I've heard my, I mean, I've been thinking about this all week and I've heard myself say it a couple of times now. And even at the end, as I get all the way through it, I'm like, man, it just, it still just feels like we're trying to oversimplify things. And I don't want you to hear that because your situation is, is unique to you. And the relationship that you're struggling with, whether it be in, your, in, your, in your, the family that you live with, your, your, your nuclear family, trusted friends, trusted partners, people that you work with, probably as you're trying to think about how to put all these principles together and how to, how to make this situation work, or maybe what you should have done differently with a relationship that ultimately found its way into the trash can. You're sitting there thinking, man, it's just more complicated than that. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And I, and I just want you to say, I get it. As I've tried to apply this retroactively about the ways that I could have handled things or as I'm currently dealing with things or I think about how I want to be better prepared for what may be coming in the future, every one of these situations is different. But I think these principles hold pretty well which I think also just kind of gets me back to that middle one, which is, I know it's complicated. I know it's difficult. I know it's overwhelmingly personal. I know it feels complicated. Why don't you get one or two people in there in your circle to kind of help you? To help you kind of sort out your hurt from the facts. To help you come up with an effective way of trying to bring real resolution and restoration. I'm not trying to get somebody to, I'm not trying to get them to pay for what they've done. I want a restored relationship with them. I'm not trying to hurt them the way that they hurt me. I want, a re- I want a relationship back with them. So I keep that circle small. 
I take the responsibility for what I have, no more, no less. And I'm going to trust God and them to do their part. And if it doesn't work, I redefine. But again, let's trust more love. And if you're walking through those kinds of situations right now, I pray that you're not walking through them alone. That you really are in your devotional life, that you are pouring out your heart to God. And that you have one or two trusted people that you can have with you. And above and beyond all of that, I hope that we are look. I really do. I hope we are looking to Jesus. Not simply for advice, but for a model. A Jesus, Jesus who loves us so well, forgives us so well, is pursuing peace with us and wants full restoration with us. I pray that we will not only look to him for advice, but as, as an example. Let me pray. God, this is all just very complicated. And God, for those of us who are walking through it now or remembering broken relationships from the past, God, I pray that you would see us in that. And that God, that we could see your son, Jesus. that we can try to reflect his love, his forgiveness, his peace into the world. And the God, that we would be people who take initiative to try to bring healing, to try to bring restoration. We would not do more than what we can, but we wouldn't do less either. And that regardless of kind of the murky waters we're in right now, God, that we would be people who are pursuing forgiveness, peace, and restoration. And again, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, and for the model that he is and for the way he has shown this love to us. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us on our sermon podcast, and you can learn more about us at thegrovechurch.org. If you go to thegrovechurch.org slash connect, there's a form you could fill out. Just let us know that you've been listening. And if you want to dig deeper on some of these topics that we cover in our sermon podcast or just in other issues of dealing with culture or theology, those kinds of things, uh, you can check out our Cultivate podcast, which is on the same feed, um, however you found this particular podcast. So again, this is Charlie, the lead pastor at The Grove, and thank you so much for joining us.